Today on Inside the Ropes, three words. Andrew Langford Jones. You won't believe some of the stories he's got to tell. We chat with Crystal Blum and a very special guest, another Mr. 59. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Oh, man, if you don't, get everybody. Welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 196. Like Matty Elliott, uh, Matty Elliott at Edge Baston. Was it Edge Baston when he was out for 199? Let's hope Wasn't we get it, to. I thought it was Lords. Was it? No, it wasn't Lords. Was it Lords? When he got out for 199, let's hope we get to the 200. We're inching our way towards it, Hazy. Lovely to see you. And How you, are you? And you, Murray. Well, thank you, mate. Very uh, well. Big show today. Uh, we are, we're about to be joined by one of the great men, of one of the great people of Australian golf. He's got a long title. Well, he used to have a long title. I don't know what he's, what title he puts behind his name these days. Andrew Langford-Jones about to join us. Stacey Peters and Crystal Bloom will be joining us after the Athena. Yet another in, in, inventive... Um, new wave of tournament golf being played here in Australia. We're becoming quite synonymous with um, experimental golf here in Australia at the moment. I've got to say, I quite like I quite like the fact that we're a hotbed for this sort of thing. We're world leaders. We're number one in yeah. the world rankings. There's no doubt about that. And we're very lucky to have Langers here today because mm. he's partly responsible for at least one of them. And I think that, uh, you know, we don't enjoy our status as sort of off-Broadway for the main tours, but it does allow us to partake in a few extravagances. Yeah, Andy. And well, I, the, yeah. the the Athena uh, won't be to everyone's liking, and that's fine, but I thought it was fantastic, and mm. it didn't make any pretense about what it is, and it was a fantastic opportunity for a, a player like Crystal to, to have a life-changing experience. It was a great opportunity for every one of those girls to play competitive oh. golf and get some exposure on television and under that sort of pressure, albeit in a in a revised format, we understand that. Um, but it, they gave them a chance when a chance may not have been presenting itself to them otherwise. So, hundred percent. And the PGA of Australia and the WPGA Tour are to be fully commended for all the things they're trying. And we've seen one running of the Players Series already. Mm-hmm. We're about to see another at Bonnie Doon in Sydney in a couple of weeks, and that's fantastic. And you know, all the chances that the players get to play. Um, is you know that that's what the PGA and the WPGA are all about. It's here, here. exactly what we need. And you're going to catch up with another 50 year old, uh, 50 something year old who shot 59 uh, a couple of weeks or so just before Christmas. Actually, we've been thinking about catching up with Graham Stinson for a while, and you've caught up with him just before we got going today. Yeah, it's amazing. Is, yeah. Uh, like. He talks. He talks about it like it's you know just run of the mill occurrence. Not that he's done it before, but it was seemed pretty easy. So, uh, an extraordinary addition to our crazy golf files around the country. Oh, so, the former director of tournaments for the PGA Tour of Australasia. I think I've got that. Have I got that right? That's close was enough. It, oh, so it was wrong. I thought no, I got it, was it right. right. It was right. Okay, Andrew Langford Jones. Lovely to have you on Inside the Ropes, mate. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here. How close have you ever got to fifty nine? What's the? You're a handy player. What's I think the I got sixty nine once, but uh, fifty nine. No, that's uh, maybe on a computer game somewhere. <laughs> it's pretty good going, isn't it? This is a great thing about. I know we've had the review into technology and equipment, and we're going to wait to see how that all plays out. But this is the reality of the equipment revolution, that 55-year-old men can go out in their local club comp and shoot 59. I suspect that 30 or 40 years ago, once you got to that age, such a feat 
would have been beyond most even a, even a plus two handicapper that would have been beyond the wildest dreams of most players. Yeah, well, we look at last week. I was down at Moona and um, Peter Fowler. How old's Pete now? Sixty-two. Yeah, sixty-one, sixty-two. Finished twentieth. And the only reason he can do it is because he's hitting it further now mm. than when he won the Australian Open in 1983. Mm. So the equipment has had a lot to do with it. Have you sat down and digested all of that stuff? We've, we spend a, a lot of time on this show talking about how far the ball goes and what it does to courses and tournament setups and all the rest of it. And we saw the kind of joint review by the RNA and the USGA that was put out, and they've got some timelines on how it's all going to affect golf. Have you had a read of any of that and digested it to any yeah. sort of degree? Yeah, we, we, we've we looked at it over the years and, you know, to be honest with you, we all agree the ball's going too far. The courses are becoming obsolete. The the absolute treasures of the game, uh, even Royal Melbourne, for instance, um, one of the great golf courses of the world, if not the greatest, has become a chip and putt, uh, a drive and putt, a chip. It, mm. It's a... It's um, ridiculous how far they're hitting it. 380 metres, 370 metres is the norm for half these young guys. And you can't keep buying ground to increase the the length of the courses because it's just more maintenance, more cost, Mm -hmm. everything about it. Um, Augusta, a few years ago, suggested that they introduce a tournament ball, but uh, I'm not sure why it never happened. I've got a feeling it was because of the lawsuits and the things that are related to golf outside the the ropes that uh, Mm -hmm. is the reason they don't do it. I mean, they got into enough trouble years ago when they um, brought in metal woods and then they brought in the uh, square grooves and the cost to golf was huge in the the law court. So, I mean, they had to be very careful with the long putter just recently. Um, But to do something to bring the ball back into a reasonable length um, would be a very costly exercise for everyone. How hard is it to set up courses? This is kind of part of what you do, you know, when you've got the best players in the world coming out to... Well, one, yeah, one of the... It, it's it's not so hard to set up the course if it's all men or it's all women, um, but the difficulty is, like, at the Vic Open, which, um, you know, I'm very proud to have been a part of for the last eight years down at 13th Beach... The uh, the difficulty down is there is the women are coming in with five irons and the men are coming in with wedges. So to put a pin just over a bunker is fair for the men but not for the women because mm-hmm. so, they can't get the same spin. Uh, so that becomes very difficult trying to um, set up a course for mm. that sort of... Are you proud of what Super Sixes has become? That's your little baby. I mentioned before that you'd had a hand in some of these innovative concepts. That's That's your primary one, I'm going to say. Yeah, the Super Set, I'm, I'm very proud of it and I'm very disappointed with it. Uh, in the, It came about from me laying on the lounge at home watching the Melbourne Cup Carnival, having 450 bets in a day, $5 here and $5 there, and I had the best day of my life. And I thought, the end of it, how do I bring that into golf? And the Super Sixes was about being a result every 10 minutes of match finishing or you could bet on, you know, nearest the pins and all that sort of thing. But unfortunately, golf has never brought with the concept the uh, the gambling side of it. And the whole concept was about gambling and for people at home to actually get emotionally involved in what was happening on the screen. Um, but I feel that side of it has been missed. 
Oh, I, I didn't yeah. realise that. No, neither did I either. No, I didn't realise that was yeah. sort of driving part of the evolution of that thing. Yeah, and it's a shame. To me, it's a shame. Anyway, there's there's good reason people above me that make these decisions. But um, the shame is gambling and golf. Um, golf is the original gambling game. No one's ever had a game of golf without a Tats Lotto oh. ticket or, a, <laughs> or 20 cents down at Bowen Heads. We always play a dollar, a dollar, a dollar. Mm. Um, but uh, we've never given them the opportunity, the punters at home, to actually watch golf and get emotionally involved by barracking. What, for, what has it been explained to you? Well, it's difficult. That it's they say it's too easy for the um, the people who control gambling to get to players for a player to lay down or to stand up or try harder or mm. not try as hard. Um, but I, you know, I I see that that's still the same problem with cricket and football and every other sport that's uh, basketball yeah. and so. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why we've never. Maybe it's the um, the gambling organisations that we ca- aren't interested. I'm sure they would be. Yeah, I'm well, absolutely. So they are in America. It's just sort of taken off over on the PGA Tour yeah. for the first time. They've decided to sort of pony up with with betting agencies. Well, originally when we we, we had the first one down at Torquay, which Hazy went to, mm. it was fantastic. Mm. Um, and then we took it to Perth. But the Perth government, uh, who were financing the uh, the, the tournament, uh, weren't keen to tie gambling in yep, with the yep. event, so it didn't happen there. But, um, it, yeah, it's a shame that the concept was never really um, put to test by having uh, the full concept uh, tried. Yeah, you can, you can understand... From a government perspective, they spent, probably spend a lot of time just to take the count of you. They, they probably do spend a lot of time and a lot of energy pushing back on the ills of problem gambling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, poker machines are more likely to present that traditionally than the sort of betting that we're talking about here. But, you know, far, the, the ease with which we can bet nowadays is a growing problem. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. But if you regulate it properly, if you take the full responsibility on board, of opening yourself up to this concept and you take the responsibility on board for it, then you can do, I'm not going to say you can do as much good as you can harm, but you can certainly help those who have got an issue. I mean, it's not as if you just put it out there and I think it's take, more take, about take. taking control of the administration and the players themselves of making sure that they didn't get involved in the, mm. in the, um, the gambling side of things. Mm. Um, it'd be terrible. And I think the fear of a lifetime ban, if you were caught um, as a player being involved in gambling, would be enough. Mm. Um, the, I don't think the players would be silly enough to get involved if... Uh, if that was on the line. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, re- it's really interesting to me, this conversation. I'm sitting here trying to, you know, formulate my own position as you speak, because I didn't know that, language. I had no idea that was your original concept. And you see so much bad happen through mm. gambling in the community around around sport. You know, the haves and have-nots of the AFL are based on how many poker machines have you got, for example. And, you know, it's been part of rugby mm. league for a long time in leagues, clubs, etc. Gee, where do you go? Because the, the, the good and the evil, if you can control it, as you say, you know, it would be a huge boom because I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and say, I don't bet every time I play because well, absolutely there's something on the line. That's why you play. Well, plus so. you can go to, to AB Sports Bet. I mean, you can go to any, any sporting 
account, any bookmaking fraternity you like, and you can punt on golf now. Well, Everybody can bet on golf now. I mean, it's, it's not as if it's not happening. Well, it's happening that's exactly, yeah. Uh, when I was the, uh, the tournament director for the tour, that one of the things that was well and truly understood by everyone in our administration is that if you worked for the tour, you could not be involved. Correct. Um, that's the same at Golf Australia too, Andy. I yeah. can't be involved no, in that at all. No, it's the same with sports like the AFL. Like it's, you know... Yeah. Which is, you know, understandable. But uh, it always frustrated me that uh, you can turn the television on and have 3,000 bets on 3,000 different race meetings, mm. Mm. but um, golf was never prepared Maybe it was the image that they didn't want to associate with the, the gambling, but I think, unfortunately, the genie's out of the bottle there. And uh, it's also um, every golfer, as I said, every golfer has a bet every time he plays the game. So, Langers, more broadly, that's fascinating, all of that, but more broadly, did we get to a point in Australia from a professional golf tour perspective that if we didn't come up with, you know, for want of a better term, sort of concept golf, that we were going to wither away and die on the vine here. Professional, you know, mid to high level tournament golf would have been, but for three or four tournaments, a summer would have been a thing of the past. Look, I think the problem with Australian golf at the moment is we've got no Greg Norman. Um, Greg, gee, he drove that uh, the ratings for so long and... Along with Greg Norman came the Peter Seniors, the Peter Lonards, the Peter O'Malley's, the Peter Fowler's, hmm. all those guys, Parry, uh, Richard Green. I mean, all those fellas came along with the Norman era, and we had a we had, were able to put together a field um, that was world class anywhere um, with our own homegrown. But right at the moment, you take out um, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Leash, and perhaps Smithy. And you are really struggling to find a draw card within our own ranks mm. that would pack the uh, pack the courses. And with all due, due respect to those four, and we speak about them a lot on this show, and we love what they're doing internationally and have done, and hopefully will continue to do. But none of them are Greg Norman. None of them. Norman was a, Norman from an Australian perspective was our Tiger. He Norman to Australia was what Tiger was. To American tour golf. Well, you know, we, Day and Scott both have climbed to the top of the world ranking, just mm. like Norman did. And, you know, they're brilliant, particularly Adam Scott, I would argue. Yep. But he, as good as he is and as normal as he is, he's not Greg Norman mm. in terms of, you know, magnetic attraction to the game for people who aren't interested. So mm. I can I vividly remember at the Masters back in, I don't know when it was, late 90s, and uh, I was standing with Trevor Hurden, who was the director of tournaments at the time, and we were sitting on the first tee, and Norman was walking up the ninth fairway at Huntingdale, and the players that had just teed off the first and the tenth just stopped and watched him walk. He wasn't hitting a shot. He wasn't doing anything. He was just walking, mm. and he had that aura about him that that's what people did. I remember another time with Norman, he uh, only made the cut on the number at Huntingdale, and I'm not sure that uh, you know that he, he'd had a great day. But the next morning, he was first off at seven o'clock. There were two and a half thousand people there to watch him tee off, and he's running 65th. <laughs> he shot 65 or six, 
and by one o'clock when the leaders were teeing off, there was about eight people left at the course. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. He, he, yeah. Every pro in Australia should still be sending Greg Norman a Christmas card thanking him for what he did for it, golf. It's, it is so – it's a remarkable time in Australian golf. If you're a social media um, user and you're listening to the show and you don't follow Rob Williamson – um, mm. From a golf perspective, you're letting yourself down. He's he curates and finds all this archival stuff that he puts out. He puts out two minute sort of slabs of um, Australian tournaments from the eighties and the nineties. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating stuff you've forgotten. And Norman's obviously front and center in so much of it. It is. It is. You, you actually forgot. You've forgotten how many people came to Australian golf tournaments to watch this bloke play. Four, five, six deep lining fairways, yeah, and it was like Augusta. If you didn't get around a green um, early in a, a, a Norman final round, you weren't going to see him around. A, you're not, not going to just you're not, never see him putt a ball because it's six, ten, six, eight, ten deep around greens. So it was, it was, it's phenomenal, and it's easy to forget yeah, what he I, used to I, do. Look. I was lucky enough to be the tournament director when Tiger came out in 2009 mm. to Kingston Heath, and most people can still remember, you know, the fairways, and it was just ridiculous. But I can remember 10 years earlier when he, Norman and Feldo, were playing in the third or fourth rounds at at uh, Huntingdale, and uh, <laughs> it was exactly the same. Yeah. It was exact. He was unbelievably mm. uh, big as far as a draw card. Yeah, yeah. You've got some more tournament stuff. Well, you've got a plan for the future. Um, you, st- you still haven't put your mind and imagination to bed yet when it comes to tournaments. We'll have a chat about that on the other side of the break when we get there. So. I'm going to clear it with the lawyers in this break, Andy, and I'm going to ask Lang as a question about 2009 Masters. I'm, I'm just warned of warning here. Okay. I'm clear it with the lawyers in the break, and hopefully <laughs> I'll be able to ask, ask him the question. All right, do that. Did you were you watching Patrick Root a couple? I've got to ask you. It's you deal with this sort of stuff. You've dealt with hundreds, thousands of these matters on course when you get called over by players. Did you, were you watching Patrick Root a couple of weeks ago? Yes, I saw. I saw the Patrick. Well, okay. Root. The floor is yours. Please give us your read of what took place. This, this is exactly what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it it probably. I don't think he did anything that broke the rules of golf. Other than it certainly wasn't what we would call the etiquette of golf, um, he 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 would probably be called in and had a big chat too if it had been here in Australia. I'm not sure that it was it was that uh, smart a thing to do. Mm. I mean, wouldn't you expect of all the players you've had great relationships with over the years, Langers? And this is my own bias, I admit that. But wouldn't you expect him to look at that video and go, oh, I made a mistake, I've signed for the wrong card, see you later? Um, yeah, I've certainly had that from numerous players over the years. I mean, the, the, I think it was was it uh, John Morse back in when he won the, or didn't win the Aussie Open, he won it one year, but he came in after the round and Trevor was with me and we were sitting in the in the office and he walked in and he said, Trev, on the 17th, I actually broke a twig on a tree that uh, no one saw it. I just want to let you know and call a couple of shots and myself. And uh, um, it cost him the Aussie Open. I think mm. it did cost him the Aussie Open. But players coming in and doing that sort of stuff and uh, 
uh, Peter O'Malley in the, in an event over in Adelaide once again um, took a backswing, a big chunk of bark fell off a tree. Came, no one saw it but him. He came in and just declared it and added two and you know well, all the time um, people think that the professional golfers trying to get away with stuff but 90% of them are exactly the opposite. They'd rather add to than ever um, jeopardise their reputations. Um, Nodding furiously. Oh, yeah. I, just, yeah. I just think that's that's a small percentage. I reckon more. 99% yeah, well, well, it would of be. It would be. There's yeah. only, and I'm not going to name a name, but I can only recall one in my time watching on the Australian PGA Tour where I've thought, you're doing the wrong thing here, Come mate. Come on. No, I, no, because if I do, it's going to get you involved too. Long as you don't <laughs> no, no, then don't haze What's that. been the? Has there been one that's been the most curious? A, a ruling in Australia that you can think of that springs to mind? Has there been one where you've gone, gee, I don't know about this, and we've had to dive a bit deep into the rule book or consult other minds as well to make sure we're getting to the right conclusion? Yeah, the, the most unfair ruling... Um, was Travis Smythe, who's young Golf Australia protege coming through, just joined yep. our... But he was playing in the New Zealand Open uh, two years ago and he was in a bunker and he was he was fair income in contention. I mean, there was a shot in it with uh, two holes to go and uh, he hit the fairway bunker on the par five. Uh, his ball was at the left-hand end of the bunker. The bunker was about 35 metres uh, long and at the other end of the bunker, um, this um, palm leaf blew into the bunker, and his caddy picked it up and threw it out. And one of the local rules officials—I mean, it was probably a time where someone of a little bit more experience may have been looking the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he—he right. uh, he reported it and, um, you know, that he'd lifted a loose impediment in the bunker or his caddy had and uh, I did everything. I, I rang the RNA at two o'clock in the morning and got through to uh, David Rickman and Simon Migdolsky from Golf. We all agreed it was the most ridiculous decision in the... The history of golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was 25 metres from his ball. Anyway, to the RNA's credit, at the end of the year, the rule got changed, and um, so now he was yep. he, he he would have been okay. But that was probably the worst ruling I can think oh. of. It, it it cost him the tournament. Well, it cost him a chance of winning the tournament. And uh, um, but I think the rules of golf generally are, are designed. Around common sense now. Yeah. Um, you give me a ruling, and I can tell you a reason why it's there now. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, "Well, I'm in a divot. Why isn't that ground under repair?" I mean, every golfer gets it in that situation. Well, the bottom line is, how do you police what is a divot yeah. and what's an old divot and what's a new divot and mm -hmm. you know what's an overgrown divot? So the easiest thing is, it's still based around. Hit it, find it, and hit it again. With a couple play. of the old curmudgeons on this show, from time to time, will say golf's not supposed to be a fair game anyway. Correct. So play on. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we get a break out of the way? Why don't we get a break? Andrew Langford Jones, our special guest. There's a load more we want to talk to you about. On the other side of the break, Crystal Blum and Bloom Blum. I'm going to triple check before we get a break. I think it's Crystal Bloom. Bloom uh, is going to join us with Stacey Peters a bit later on. You're listening to Inside the Robes. 
Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. And we're here with Andrew Langford-Jones, our very special co-host and guest here on the program today. Um, I'm not even going to try and have a crack at the title again. I butchered that at the start of the show. And raconteur. 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 Now, you said in the first segment you had to get something cleared by the legal fraternity here at Inside. We're deep and very multi-layered, high-powered legal team we have here at Inside the Ropes. And I haven't got it officially clear, but I'm just going to put it into – I'm going to lob it into Langer's oh, camp and God. see what he comes back with. But can you perhaps tell us, Langer's, you mentioned before about Tiger at Kingston Heath in 2009 for the Australian Masters. What was it like having Tiger in town? Yes, it was, it was probably the biggest week of my tournament life. Um it was very interesting. As everyone knows, the tournament was sold out six months beforehand. Um, everyone was tigerized, and everyone was looking for, you know, what could go wrong and what, and it nearly did. Tiger arrived on the Tuesday and uh, played nine holes with Parry, and I hadn't seen him arrive, and um, there were tickets sold to the practice rounds on the Tuesday. It was, yeah. it was extraordinary. There like 5,000 people out there. It was ridiculous. More, number, than, more than that. It was probably more than that. You're right. Yep. Anyway, I, I, I was out on the course and uh, all of a sudden our office girl said, uh, um, Langers, Mr. Woods is in the office. I'd like to see you. And uh, <laughs> of course your heart flutters a bit and you think, oh, geez, what have we done now? So he's not happy with something. So I went back into the office and I said, g'day, mate. How are you? And he said, oh, good, good. I said, have we got a problem? And he said, no, 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 no. I've got a press interview in about 20 minutes and I just want to ask you a few questions. So I started to relax a bit and uh, and he said, tell me um, tell me about the preparation. I said, well, Tiger, I said, it's been the longest drought in Australia's history and it's uh, there's no rough because of that. And uh, as you know, the sand belt is at its best in February and we're playing this in November, December. So, um, you know, there's a few things that are not as good as we'd like them, but uh, all in all, the course is really good. So anyway, we talked for another five, ten minutes, and then he said, look, I better get over there. So he goes over to the, uh, goes over to the press conference, and uh, first question, well, Tiger, what do you think of the course? And he says, well, as a matter of, you know, you guys know better than I, but Australia's going through the worst <laughs> drought in its history, and... The sand belt's at its best in February and, you know, there's not much rough out. And I thought to myself, this bloke is a total pro. I mean, he'd actually come in, done his home and regurgitated it word for word. And from that point on, I thought, you know, look, this is going to be okay. Anyway, on the Tuesday night, um, the dinner was held at Crown and uh, Robert Allenby came up to me. I think it was Robert. It might have been Apple's. Uh, Stewie Appleby, but one of them came up to me and said, uh, Langers, um, I've got some bad news for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, uh, um, that lady that was at the British Open with Tiger, I think she's in town. <laughs> and my heart then did drop hit the floor. <laughs> God, and I said, uh, listen, under no circumstances are you to tell anyone, because if anyone from the press finds that out, there's no choice for Tiger. He's going to have to either done his back or his hip or, you know, something in his neck, or, and he'll be on a plane and out of here. There's, uh, there's no choice for him. So you knew it would be a circus. Uh, it oh. would, uh, yeah. Well, you ha- I mean, the places we've sold every ticket that could possibly be sold. Um, they even had extra janitors on on call that week to fit another couple of people in. 
And uh, I'm thinking, here we go, um, from Tuesday night at 10 o'clock until the Sunday, I was absolutely <laughs> pooping myself. <laughs> because I was... Uh, if it, you can imagine what it would have been like. Yeah. Like all those tickets, are so all those people, mm-hmm. and Tiger pulls out and, and heads home. Anyway, as it turned out, um, <laughs> nothing got out. Um, that's exactly right. Uh, nothing got out. Tiger won the tournament. He was fantastic all week. Uh, he was brilliant. Um, and, so as uh, soon as you saw the Learjet pop into the uh, horizon, did you get on the phone to, you know, SEN or Herald no, Sun or something? Oh, no. no, my job is just to keep the news to a minimum, r- not to make it. Rather than, get on, uh, rather than get on the phone when it's his take, you get on the bees. You sit down and go, thank God. That's exactly that's... what happened. Oh. That's exactly what happened. And um, anyway, of course, the next day or the day after it, it all blew up, and yeah, uh, yeah. and I thought to myself, "Geez, how lucky were we?" Because <laughs> um, we'd had a couple of incidents uh, with uh, the Australian Open the few years, you know, the previous couple of years, with the uh, suspension of plays at oh, gee, where were they? Victoria, Royal Melbourne, uh, Moona, New South, Wales. New South Wales. So the. Australian golf did not need another sensation so, like this. So that's is, have you got any other? Because we, I'm we, devastated you didn't prop along my journalistic career, Andy. That would have been fairly yeah, handy. a little hey, Hayes. Yeah. I got a yarn for you, and yeah, that would have been quite something it exclusive. Mark Hayes, You'd be, yes. you would have been a global sensation, Hayes. Sorry, Hayes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hayes has offered to write my book for me. So, It'd be a hell of a book, I reckon. It's true. I it would be a good book. Well, it's been a look. I can't. I've had the best career of anyone. I mean, my dream was sport and, uh, you know, it's just through golf. I mean, I had a, 10 years of a place, a thing called career sport, where we looked after 80-odd AFL footballers, Ronnie Joseph and myself, and uh, then got into golf. Well, through golf, I uh, I had, uh, I've been to 35 different countries around the world. I've done the Olympics, um, I even danced with Princess Di. Jeez. Had half an hour with Mandela in South Africa. Oh, Did Met- you watch, have you watched The Crown? Uh, yes. Have I you watched have, The Crown? I have and is the, crown. Have the, is the die the die that you know in that? Well, I didn't is there know anything? that well. Okay, right I, I didn't know her that well. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we, look, my wife and I were in the, got invited into the Oval Office and we met three or four presidents. So it's just been a great trip for me. So I don't know anyone, and we, I don't know anyone who's got a bad word to say about you. I, I honestly don't. Is there? Is you there? Haven't a, met many people. No. Is there a golfer on the planet who, if the mere mention of your name was heard by him or her, they go, oh, that, uh, so-and-so. Like, is there someone Yes, there is had, one. Yep. There's a Queenslander who would definitely say that. Um, and I'm not going to name him. <laughs> right. uh, Do you know who it is? But, uh, oh, it might be the same one I mentioned before or nearly mentioned earlier. I don't know. No, Young guy, old guy? Uh, <laughs> middle of the road. Okay. <laughs> okay. Still playing? Uh, yes, still yeah. playing. Um, but these things happen, you know. We, we I reckon I know every now is. and again we had to. Uh, Got a beard? Uh, so I'm not saying <laughs> it. Don't go there. Uh, but every now and again you had to call someone in and yeah. have a heart to heart. And more often than not, you know, five years down the track, they come back to you and say you were right and yet uh, and thank you for it. How much turmoil um, is there? Like you mentioned, you know, a couple of the 
fast greens, high winds, you know, tournament cancellations and suspensions and all of that sort of stuff. Same thing happened at Riviera on Saturday in LA. They cut the greens, they put the pins in some tough spots, and the winds got up. They weren't they weren't brutal winds, but they were enough to make the course unplayable. When that happens, what do you what goes on in a tournament office? Well, I want. I, I, I want to go on record as saying in my 20 years we never had to suspend because of, um, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. We were very lucky. It wasn't great management. But it is partly management and, um, you know, the preparation of the course, you know the forecast a week out. So if you've got a good relationship with your greenkeeper, the green speeds are produced accordingly. And um, that 2009 event that you were talking about... On the third day, we were within 30 seconds of suspending play with Tiger on the 13th green. Uh, we'd forecast, the forecast had been for southerlies or southwesterlies all, all day, and it stayed in the north and it was getting hotter and blowing harder. And, uh, and the 13th green at Kingston Heath, where we had the pin, wasn't ideal. Mm. And as the winds got up, the ball started rolling and rolling. And we nearly suspended, and just as I had my hand on the button, the wind swung to the south, and all of a sudden the hole was perfect. And these are the things that the variables of golf that you've got to be very careful. Setting a course up at 6 o'clock in the morning for 5 o'clock that afternoon in Melbourne, for example, weather, it's very, very difficult. but if you've got a good relationship with the super, and luckily in Australia we've got the best supers in the world, um, it's it's not that difficult. You just make sure if it's a high forecast, the winds are running at 11. If you've got the perfect day, they can quicken them up to 12. Any quicker than that, I have always argued, is um, not tournament golf. Mm. And uh, people often say to me, you know, oh, gee, the monthly medal, we have it a lot quicker than this. Yeah, well, that's right. But the monthly medal, you can suspend... Um, any time during the day, come back the next Saturday and play. We can't do mm, that. Mm. We've got $6 million in budget on the line and the players are on the plane Monday. So it's pretty important that we play. So we probably set the courses up at 85% of their potential just so we can have the uh, tournament complete and we've got a television product. I've sat in, I've sat in the rooms with... Langers and Trevor around that. It's, yeah, right. it's actually fascinating. He says there's luck involved and clearly that story attests to that, but by the same token, there's a lot of management goes oh, on. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I was chatting to Richard James at Kuyonga for the Australian Amateur, and he could have said, he told me that he could have got the Greens to 15, if need if need be. Yeah. But Trevor's saying, no, 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 11-4, if it warms up and gets harder, they'll roll out to 12, 12 and a half, and that'll be extreme. Well, the other, I mean, Royal Melbourne's the best example. Um, the Greens at Royal Melbourne can run at 13, 14, 15, anything you like. Yeah. But on the same, uh, on the other hand, you've got to remember when Royal Melbourne was designed, they were cutting the greens with hand mowers that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, cut it to half an inch. And the when Alistair McKenzie designed the place, um, where he intended the pins to be, if they run at 13, you just can't play golf to those pins. So yeah, yeah. when they run at 13, 14, 15 invariably the only place to put the pin is in the middle of the green for four days and that doesn't test the architecture. Ideally, I believe anyway, a green running at about 11, 11 11.5 to 12 is perfect for tournament golf. Any quicker than that, 
you're losing the benefit of the architecture of the course. Andrew Langford Jones, our special guest. You haven't stopped um, imagining tournaments, and you, you were telling me before we come on here, you're part of a consortium that's got another idea to go back down to the Ballerine Peninsula and play one of Australia's great golf courses. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, well, it's in the hands of the government at the moment. Mm. We're trying to get some funding. Um, but um, four well-known Melbourne identities, and I don't mind telling you, Stephen Goffer used to run the MCG and there the on the Melbourne and the Carlton, and the Carlton Footy, Footy Club, Footy Club yeah. uh, for 20, 30 years. Um, Stephen, uh, Leon Wigard, ex-Olympian and well-known raconteur. Yeah. <laughs> he is a raconteur. Yeah. Um, and uh, life member of the PGA as well. And Paul Sheehan, um, former professional golfer, not the cricketer, but uh, won the Japan Cup, won the Victorian Open and a number. The four of us got together down at Barwon Heads and uh, we're hoping to, at the end of the year, those 24 or 30 odd players from the early 2000s, late 1990s, to start an Australian Senior Open down there. And it'll be fantastic from that point of view that we'll have all the legends of Australian golf as well as uh, combining it with the uh, the format of the Dunhill Links or the AT&T. So people will have the opportunity of uh, mm. linking up with one of the great champions of our time. And these guys are still competitive oh, on yeah. the, uh, the flat belly. To, I mean, Peter Fowler is now 62, but he's he's made his last five cuts on the flat belly tour, on the main tour. So he's still competitive. Um, so the guys like <laughs> Appleby and Allenby and Nick Ahern and Lonard and Parry and... Seen and yeah, oh, he goes on and on yeah, and on. Yep. Um, hopefully, they'll all turn up, and uh, hopefully, uh, general public will have a chance of linking up with some of these guys and playing in a tournament down there. Imagine the fun you'd have in 18 oh, holes awesome. with Stuart Appleby or Peter oh, Lonard around or... a layout like Bowen Heads. It'd oh. be absolutely magnificent, it'd be superb. Well, let's hope. Uh, when do you need uh, to? When do you need to get the green light? By how, how much time? How much lead time do you need to? Oh, it'd have to be. It'd have to come out in the next uh, two or three weeks to give us time to actually get the thing. Well, up Martin Pakul is a very good friend of the program. Is he one of the key? Is he, he one of the key? He is a very key. Let's get onto that. Uh, <laughs> Are you using inside the ropes as a leverage tool, Langers? I could be. Um, <laughs> you should get Stephen Goff to lean on Martin Pakula. Great well, Carlton man, Martin Pakula. Well, Martin, he's, uh, his daughter happens to be in the same class as mine at Halebury. Oh, so, uh, oh, it's um, a very small world, Melbourne. The Melbourne Elite, yeah. Hazy, you and I are not part of this, but it's a very, <laughs> very small world. Yeah, it brings me back to the amateur footy days when yeah. you used to play, Mario. I can remember <laughs> that very clearly. I think I You're was, the only one. I was chairman or president of that organisation oh, no, for very, nine years. Very ordinary. Before, was a good nine years. Before you straighten us up again, mm. I've got to ask. I mean, I want to know a little bit of the conversation you had with Lady Di as you sort of oh, yeah. sashayed oh, her around geez. the room. Did did she say, well, can you get this chuck bloke away from me? Or <laughs> what, what did she actually whisper in your ear? Oh, Andrew, uh, you're so light on your feet. I've actually, I've actually exaggerated that slightly. <laughs> what happened, Greg Turner and I were in London mm-hmm. and it was about midnight and we'd arranged to meet at this little bar in where the Nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. And we went in there, and we were the only two there, and in the corner, this fellow was playing his guitar. And about half an hour after we'd been there, in walked these three girls. And Turns turned to me and he said, that's Lady Di. 
And I said, you're kidding. And I looked at her and it was Lady Di. <laughs> so about 10 minutes later, the three girls saunter up to the guy playing the guitar and start jiving around. And I turned to turn, so I said, this is too good an opportunity, <laughs> mate. So I walked over and I said, girls, do you mind if I join in? <laughs> so that's how I claim my dance oh, with Lady Di. God, that, that is, is one of the great stories. Yeah. How's my book going to go here? There it is there. You just stole them. That's the lead right there, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's magnificent. Um, <laughs> look, there's a – God damn it. Is there, any, is there any other random story you just want to tell us that we don't even know how to, how to ask the question yet or not? Uh, one day I'll come back and tell you about the Oval Office. That seems to be the one that gets most people. Do you want to hear the story now? All right, we'll no. hold that for part two. Uh, Andrew Langford-Jones, our special guest. Uh, we've got to get to the winner of the Athena. Stacey Peters was there calling alongside Anthony Hudson. It's going to be Crystal Blum, Andy. It's Crystal Blum. I have confirmed Not it's Blum. Crystal Blum. So right I'm an idiot. I apologise. Right that's happening after this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Andrew Langford-Jones, our special guest. Stacey Peters, just, we had a little bit of technical issue with Stace, so we're just going to let her... Uh, we're just going to park her for uh, the day, and it gives us more chance to talk to the winner of the Athena anyway, Crystal Blum. Blum, not Bloom. Correct. Uh, magnificent um, magnificent victory. Had to knock over some high-quality players along the way before she got to the final, but Kano Matsumoto on the way through to her first professional title. She's been good enough to join us on her way from there to somewhere else. We'll find out about the journey that she's taking. Hey, Crystal, thanks for joining us, and congratulations. No, thank you. Thank you for having me, and yeah, thanks a lot. Um, have you? I was reading some stuff about you know um, your reaction to the win straight after it, and the kind of trying to put it into some sort of perspective. Uh, it was difficult to do immediately after the tournament. Have you got a sense for what this might mean to you now, a day or two after winning that event? Uh, yeah, a little bit more perspective. It was definitely very fresh and sort of still couldn't really believe it when it first happened. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely sort of starting to sink in. But I think it'll probably take maybe a couple more days to really sort of understand what will happen. But my plans, I think, will definitely change for the year now. I was a bit unsure um, sort of beforehand. But I think I'll definitely look at trying to get back over to Europe and get back into playing more regularly again after the whole COVID situation last year. So, Crystal, congratulations. This isn't about money um, for a lot of people that we speak to, but it is for you here, isn't it, without putting too fine a point on it. That $30,000 you won on the Gold Coast is a life changer for you, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, we play golf for the trophies and everything that kind of comes with that. It's The money's kind of an added extra, but for me, like, with it being my first win, um, I've never really had like a lot of sponsors or sort of backing and support. So for me, like $30,000 is huge. That um, will cover so much. And obviously because of coronavirus and sort of the added costs that you maybe wouldn't have had previously that you have now with coming back home and quarantine and all that sort of stuff, like having that there sort of behind you is a massive game changer. So yeah, really, really happy. So you, correct me if I'm wrong, please, you're at uni or you're, you're still continuing your university studies? Uh, yeah, so I started basically when coronavirus kind of hit uh, in June last year. I'd always sort of wanted to do a little bit of study as something extra and for maybe later on in life. Um, and it's been good and 
getting back on the golf course and having something when you're off the golf course as a distraction has been really good. So, yeah, just wanted something um, extra for later in life. You never know what will happen. People have injuries. Things can change. So just something as a backup plan, and it seemed like the perfect time to get started. So how significant is the Athena to you and what the WPGA has been able to mm. get up and running here and, and give players of your ilk as opposed to perhaps the, you know, the Minji Lee type who are on, um, you know, on a bigger tour that pays more money? How significant was the achievement by the WPGA to get this up and running? Oh, incredible. It's so good to have had something like the Athena created. Um, so many opportunities, like... Having the whole program and event broadcast live on Foxtel is huge, not only for us as players, but putting sort of the WPGA and women's golf in Australia on the map for so many more people to see. We only ever have a few events, so for people to be able to have something like this that they can watch that's also so different to normal tournament golf um, is great for the sport and great for the WPGA. Chris, well, you said something interesting before about, um, you know, kind of breaking through and getting your name out there and attracting sort of um, sponsors who might be able to make it a bit easier to do the job and follow the dream that you're following. How do you max? Have you got any idea? Maybe, Langers, you might have a view on this, but how do you strike while the iron's hot here? You've had this win. Your name's out there. We've seen it on TV. There's a bit of press. Is there a way that you can... Have you got somebody in your corner? Or is there a way that you can actually get to some prospective sponsors who might be able to make it a bit easier for you? Uh, possibly. I'm not really sure how it can kind of all work. It's obviously so hard and so many businesses have been hit with coronavirus. Some wouldn't be in the position. Other people have been really successful and would be. So hopefully um, I've always sort of known a few people um, that have good businesses and um, have sort of spoken about sponsoring but you only ever sort of have really small amounts which has always Mm. been like a massive help but I mean I still have to work quite a lot of hours at home to have been able to do what I've been able to do so far so if I can sort of yeah have people sort of help me pay for the travel and the entry fees and all that sort of stuff it just takes a huge amount of pressure off of what you're actually there to do and you can really just focus on playing your best golf and doing what you've always done, practice and all that sort of stuff um, without the sort of stress of, oh, how do I get to next week and where's that, like, money coming from to cover Mm. such and such. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll be able to get in contact with some people and they might be, like, interested in jumping on board. Um, But, yeah, it's just going to be a bit of a trial period, I think, for me. Yeah, Crystal, you're spot on there. Overseas, uh, the players that come out here, it's amazing how much local sponsorship they have and it normally gets them through the uh, through the year and it's a, tough, it's a tough thing when anyone's starting out in this industry. Australia, unfortunately, um, most of our sponsorship seems to go to the AFL, <laughs> cricket and tennis. They'd probably be the, uh, the three big draw and then rugby but overseas golf gets a lot more local sponsorship and all the players are sponsored by the local garage Mm. or the local Mm. you know whatever Um, and somehow I don't know how we're going to break through there but uh, 
Yeah, that's a wonderful win you've had at the weekend and I'm sure there'll be local people up there in Queensland who want to get on the bag and just support someone who's playing great golf mm. and uh, looks so good and represents so well. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that. So well, yeah, where to... Yeah, where... Oh, hello. Oh, so that's lovely. So there's a dog in the back and it's Langer's phone that's going off. <laughs> hey, so where to now, Crystal? We've stopped you um, mid-journey. So you're heading from Tweed Heads to... No, to from Adelaide to from Canberra. A, from Adelaide to Canberra. So um, yeah. what, what's next? What's the next cab off the rank for you? Uh, yeah, so um, in Canberra, I'm actually just supporting uh, my brother and one of his training partners. Uh, they're racing at the AIS on Thursday. So um, I didn't get a gig in the Pro-Am up there, which actually looking now is probably maybe a good thing. I had an injury a couple of weeks ago that I'm still sort of overcoming. So a few days off might be helpful for me. Um, And yeah, then just uh, I've got the player series at Bonnie Doon next week. So the WPGA and PGA um, co-sanctioned event with the guys. So that's yeah, over at Bonnie Doon and I look forward to getting underway in that one. So walk us through the Athena, if you don't mind. It seemed great fun on television and the skills challenge on, on day one. How did that go for you? I know Becky Kay got the, the chocolates there. Yeah, so the skills challenge on day one was something super different um, that we'd never really done before. It was definitely, uh, you felt a lot of nerves, um, and I definitely did, and a lot of sort of, not necessarily anxiety, but you just, felt a bit numb I guess like every single shot that you hit you were trying to hit perfect it made such an impact um Hmm. on the standing and the whole weekend like it all came down to that skills challenge as to where you sort of placed and whether you made it through to the day after and it's not like a normal round of golf where if you hit a bit of an average shot like you can get it back with the next one or you hold like a 20 foot putt to save par it was you needed that shot to be perfect and to get the 12 points or like 10 points. Um, I definitely didn't start overly well and I was first up. So I was just trying to be smart and we had a mulligan um, that we could use at one point um, on one of the skills challenges. And I was like lucky enough that when I used it, I managed to get the win on that hole. So that was definitely a turning point in my skills combine um, and probably definitely made me feel the confidence going into the final few holes and was able to sneak into fifth place after probably I think I was about last after the first three so yeah it's just one of those ones where it can change so quickly uh you just need to hit one good shot and you can skyrocket up the leaderboard so it was definitely something interesting but very cool uh, now you progress through the quarters and you take out Becky, I think, in the semi-finals, and then you get to the final against Kono, as Andy said earlier on. Now I want to—I just want to ask you. Look like—I don't want to—no offence here, but look like your grip on the putter was getting tighter as we went on. Would that be a fair thing to say? Definitely a fair thing to say. Um, it was getting a lot harder, sort of, to pull the putter back and make a <laughs> half decent stroke on it. And on the last hole against Kono, I definitely. Like you know what it is at stake, and you know that you have a two-shot lead, and you've like you've basically got three putts for a win. Um, and I had that on most of the holes for the, on that 18th. Um, I had like a couple putts, so I just tried to be smart. It wasn't like trying to make the putt because you needed a birdie to make the cut. You just 
you needed to do what you needed to do to get through. So I just didn't want to do anything silly and try and ram the birdie putt in when you didn't need to and then have like a five, six footer to get yourself into a playoff. You just, you wanted to get the win and you wanted to try and do it as comfortably as you possibly could. But yeah, the hands were definitely very shaky on that last hole. I heard you tell Karen Lunn in the interviews afterwards that um, you were going to go back and watch the videos, etc. Did you go back and watch your, I guess it's the second shot to the 18th, the last hole that you played, where you really seemed to go for it and push it out to the right? Did you hear Kari Webb and Stacey mm-hmm. Peters arguing about what you should and shouldn't have done? No, I haven't actually had the chance yet to sort of watch that bit. I've just seen a few videos that were taken on the day that people took on their phones or things like that. I haven't had a chance to actually look at the broadcast. Um, For me, like, I spoke to my dad after the round and apparently he and my brother were talking basically the same as what you guys are saying with Stacey and Kari. But for me, I've always been a very aggressive golfer and my mum, who's my coach, has always been like, you're so much better when you play aggressively rather than playing tentatively. So I just didn't want to change what I would do in a normal tournament and what I'd done on that 18th both times. Um, it didn't pay off that time, but I just, I don't have, when you're always going for stuff um, and I've got the length and that sort of thing, I just didn't know whether I could pull off a five iron sort of hitting it down there and playing on. My boyfriend and brother definitely weren't happy because they said, just play it safe. You've got to just get it on the green and make par. But yeah, I, I, I'm an aggressive golfer and it didn't pay off this time, but it doesn't mean that it won't in the future. Well, you got the result, and it's um, as you've said to Hazy a bit earlier. Who knows, you know, what this propels you to, Crystal? But it gives you a great um, jump start in 2021, and uh, we hope that you know, without interruption this year, your golf takes you where you want it to take you. Congratulations, onward and upward, and thanks for joining us on the show. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, and yeah, hopefully here's to a better 2021. Yeah, here, here, fingers crossed. Crystal Blum wins the Athena, the inaugural. Athena, another tournament where we're thinking outside the square here in Australia and, you know, giving some fine Australian female players the chance to play in a, you know, in a, in a professional environment. So it's, um, it's all good. And as Crystal, as a young professional, says that, you know, it's ideal for her uh, and uh, Steph Kiriakos and Karis Davidson's, but it's also a great vehicle for Kona Matsumoto oh, and yeah, a couple absolutely. of the, you know, no, yeah. Stephanie yep. Bunker, new pro. It's, it's a <clears throat> new wave coming through there. So congrats to Crystal for coming out on top. Yeah, uh, Mr. 59, Tony Finau, uh, we've got to ask you about your worst moment ever in golf too, Andrew Langford-Jones. We'll do all of that. On the other side of this, you're listening to Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back Inside the Ropes. I've been promising this gentleman for a long time now. We've had a, a few issues uh, at our end, particularly getting him on, but today I've, I've interrupted his round at the beautiful Link Shell Cove, and I have great pleasure in welcoming Graham Stinson to Inside the Ropes. Welcome along, Graham. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, mate, we are thrilled to have you, and primarily uh, because you've done something special, and we always like telling these stories, and I'm proud to uh, announce to people that we've got another Mr. 59 in Australia. Well done. Yeah, thanks, mate. No, it was a bit of a shock, but yeah, no, it was a, it was quite good when I uh, I'd finished the round. I'll tell you that. <laughs> walk, walk us through it a little bit, mate. We might go some 
specifics later, but it's at Link Shell Cove, one of your one of your courses yeah. that you play a lot with your mates there, and you're out there today. We've interrupted your round. Yeah, no, that's fine. No, it's at the Links. I uh, I joined the Links here probably 12 months ago. Um, I was at the Grange for 29 years and uh, thought I'd just go and try a few different things and came down here and they've welcomed me with open arms. And, uh, yeah, I'm playing some decent golf down here, which is good. So, yeah. It's a great little track, mate. It's, I mean, it's not the longest track in the world, but it's exposed to a lot of vagaries of the of the elements there, hasn't it? It is, it is, um, and, and people say, yeah, it's a short course, you should be having good numbers down there, but you come down here, like today, we've got a, a sou-wester blowing, and yeah, it's it makes it a lot tougher, it's ridiculous, but uh, no, I enjoy it, but uh, it helps your game in the end too, um, I, I do hit the ball fairly high, and uh, now that I've come down here, I'm trying to hit a little bit lower, and it seems to be working, so yeah. Here it is, then, mate. You better walk us through it. I know that uh, you know the, there were it, was, it came together with a bit of a rush at the end, but any fifty nine's got to be a, a product of four or five hours of great concentration. You were you were uh, only one under through four. I say only. I'd be delighted to be in that position, but uh, it, it started off with a, a string of birdies late in the back, late in the front nine, rather. Late in the front, yeah. I birdied the first, and then I. I went par, 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 and then, yeah, from I birdied five, six, seven, and eight. And then I got on, so I birdied 11, and I thought, I'm a chance of having 60 or 61, like, because I had a six-foot putt birdie putt up 12. And I thought, oh, well, anyway, I've missed that putt. And uh, I thought, oh, well, that's that done. So I went to the next tee, and then I've gone birdie, birdie, and then I hit it in the bunker, the fairway bunker on 16. Um, and I normally would have a go with the driver. It's a, it's a long dog leg round to the left. And young uh, Josh Mann said to me, he said, you're weak, you're, you're a bit of a pussy. He said, why aren't you going for it? And I said, I just want to hit it up so I can get there. And I've knocked it in the bunker. And then he's hit his second shot onto about a foot and a half, and I've pulled it out of the bunker from 126 metres. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you see it go in? Yeah, we did, yeah. So, Graham, did that enliven your round again, do you think? It did, mate, yeah, it did. Because um, I knew there was two par fives to finish. Um, and once I got to that, like, I was I was eight, uh, ten under at that stage. And I was still thinking, because they changed the course from a par 70 to a par 71. Um, so they changed the fifth. It was a par three, but they made it into a shorter par four. They put the, the tee markers back. I was still thinking I still had to shoot another two, two or three under for the last two holes yeah, to do any good. Um, and then I've hit it a good drive down the fairway on 17 and the pin on the par five was it was cut uh, short right just behind the bunker. I'm thinking if I hit it in the bunker, that's okay. I can get up and down for birdie. And I've hit it in the bunker and it plugged in the face. <laughs> so once that plugged in the face, I've hit it out and two putted and I thought, oh, well, that's gone and... Yep. And then I'm thinking, I still had, after I'd held that, I thought I could have a birdie on the last. That's right, a birdie on the last to break break 60. And then I realised that it was, well, the guys told me that it was a par 71. So I thought, oh, well, so I'd, it was a par five, long par, short par five, so I'd be driver. And I had I only had a lob wedge in. I, I took the, the corner on with the drive, and I hit yeah. it to about three foot, and then I held the putt. So. <laughs> wow. And then celebrations began. Yeah. And how long did they last, those celebrations? 
Oh, it's a couple of days. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, well, I got the wife to come and pick me up, so yeah, she was happy with that. That's the spirit. Um, yeah, I got a lift into the club that, that morning, and then, um, yeah, he, the other guy went home, and I stayed here with a, a few of the other guys that I played with. <laughs> That's amazing. Have you ever come that close to doing, even close, remotely close to doing it before, Graham? No, I've, I've had 64 at the Grains. That was eight under. Uh, I came out uh, a week and a half later here and had eight under again. Um, but, yeah, so like Calderwood Valley, there's a little golf course down here. I, I think I've had 60 around there, but that's just a, a shorter course and um, you don't really care. You just go and hit it and find it and hit it again and hold yeah. putts. And, uh, but, yeah, nothing, nothing in comp like that now. Now, you've played in a lot of... Um... I guess qualifying events, I suppose, for the New South Wales Senior Open. Have you ever considered, you know, taking the the step and going pro? Will you will you do that in in coming years? Yeah, I tried to two years ago, Mark, down in Sandhurst in Victoria. I went down to try and qualify for the senior uh, the senior ranks, um, and I came fourth. They only won a top three, so. Uh. Um, but I didn't. I was a few shots out of out of third, so. Uh, but. I I thought about it last year and got my yeah I've still got a family and and uh, commitments at home so I can't be playing golf all the time and just gallivanting around the, the countryside so at this stage I'll just stick with playing here with the, the boys on Tuesdays taking the piss out of each other and yeah, a bit of fun. <laughs> what handicap are you playing off today? Just out of interest. Uh, plus five and they take two more off you so plus seven today. <laughs> wow! So plus five is your GA handicap. Yeah, plus 4.6 with plus 5, yeah. How do you go standing on seven tees knowing you've got to have a birdie to get two points? I try not to look at the card, Mark. I just, <laughs> I know I can't win the net. I've got no chance of that. So <laughs> I just come here and try and get the gross every week. But there's some good players down here. There really is. Um, and people say it's such a short course. It's an easy course. Well, these guys down here, they win the pennant every, every nearly every year. So they've... They've got to be good players. Yeah. So it doesn't really how hard or how easy the course is. They, they can still play the game. And where is that pennant region, mate? Is it just around the Illawarra? Yeah, it's the Illawarra. So you've got um, yeah, you've got the Lynx, Wollongong, the Grange, Kiama, Port Kembla, and Russellvale. So, and there's good rem- there's, some, there's some really good players down here. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm going to have to remember to watch you guys when you're. Uh when you're playing at home one week and maybe just, just slip a few shekels on maybe. It sounds, sounds pretty encouraging. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I work weekends, so if you, you won't see me playing tenants. Um, too much pressure for me, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just stick taking the money off the boys there on Tuesday. We, we should let you go and get back into your round, but we really appreciate you taking the time to tell us your story. Well done, Graham. Thanks very much. No, thanks for having me, mate. I really do appreciate it. No worries. Graham Stinson. Andy, um, an amazing story. Uh, spot on, Hazy. Remarkable stuff. So he turns 55 later this year and shoots 59. Beats his previous best by, what was it, four shots yeah. around the course? So um, testimony to the fact that golf's a game that you can keep playing at a very high level deep into your 50s and beyond. How, how's your game stack up, Langers, compared to when you're at your absolute peak? 
I think my handicap at my peak was about two or three or four, yep. and it's now about 15, so not well. Okay, righto. But are you playing as much as you used to? No, uh-huh. no, I play probably four times. In fact, I'm Kingston Heath's best member. I've been a member since, well, since 2003, I've played four times. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, it's some expensive rounds, like that. That's oh, right. Only about 70,000 a round. Would they let you at Kingston Heath drive your golf cart into the into the change rooms afterwards? Because you'd have trouble getting out of it, wouldn't you? Well, I've actually uh, become a non-playing member there, mm. and uh, it's one of the few golf clubs that actually charge me green fees when I do go and play. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's what's well, the worst ever moment? You, what you, you've talked a few things in your life in golf. We're only scratching the surface, but what is the worst ever moment you've had in golf? Well, there's probably two. One of them was well documented: the tie between Lonard mm. and Mosley. Yep. Uh, but without doubt, that paled into insignificance. Actually, that was a great advert um, to the fact that I'd just taken over a new job. Um, <laughs> so it sort of gave me a bit of publicity. But uh, that wasn't uh, paled into insignificance compared to my moment at the uh, 2000 and I don't know what year it was. At British Open at uh, Carnoustie. It was a terrible week for the RNA. The first on the Monday they'd pre-queue and they'd set the pin up woefully on the fourth and players were having eight and nine putts. So they got crucified for that and then on the Wednesday they had the media dinner and the chairman had told a joke about a yank, a pom and a nip and uh, (laughs) were accused of being a racist organisation so much so that he was sent home to London and then uh, on the first round, Tiger had got a drop because they couldn't move 50,000 people off some cables. And um, Mark Rowe had declared that there was one set of rules for Tiger and another for the uh, mm. for everyone else. So we get to the Friday and um, I've got the number two player in the world in my match, and which is Phil, Nim- Phil Mickelson. And on the second hole, he hit the ball right of the green into this long grass and we look for four and a half minutes, and uh, in those days you had five minutes to find it, and then some stupid spectator said, I found it. And um, so we go over there, and Phil looks at it, and I look at it, and he said, can I mark it to identify it? And I said, yeah, go ahead. So he marks it, picks it up, and said, yep, that's mine. And then he turns to me, and he says, nearest point? And... By that he meant it's plugged, mm. so therefore I get a, a free drop nearest point. However, at the Open Championship, the only week of the year that he wouldn't get a job a drop, every other tournament and 51 weeks of the year in professional golf, because we have trucks and people and everything else, if you've got an embedded ball through the green, you get a drop. But at the Open Championship, you don't. So he just looked and he said, nearest point, and I said, yep. And as it left his hand, I thought to myself, oh, "Oh, geez, wait on, aren't we playing closely mown areas only this week? So I got on the phone to the boss, uh, David Rickman, and said, David, are we playing closely mown or through the green? And he said, "Uh, closely mown. I said, well, we've got a bit of a problem. Don't (laughs) worry, leave it with me. So I went back to Phil and I said, look, Phil, we've got a bit of a problem here Um, this week. Only we're playing closely, mown. You're going to have to put it back into the pitch, mate. Uh. And he said, "But you've already given me the drop." And Bones, who was his caddy, carried on about it, and you know the TV's about oh one inch God. away. And uh, he turns around and he says, um, 
look, you've already given me the drop. I'm entitled to play. And I said, no, look, there's another rule in the book that says if the official recognises he's made a mistake prior to playing it, you can rectify it. So you're going to have to put it back. So he said, fair enough. He was really good about yeah. it. So he puts it back in the pitch mark and the TV's looking at it and they're thinking, and all I can think of is, what are the 500 million people around the world <laughs> going to be thinking about this drop? So anyway, he puts it back and now he's got to take an unplayable because the grass is about a foot and a half mm. high. So he, luckily for him, he measures two club lengths and it gets him onto a path that's running from the green he was playing to the next tee, but it was on a 45-degree angle going uphill to the next tee. So he gets to this path and he drops it and the ball rolls forward, mm -hmm. so he drops it and it rolls forward. So now he places it on the path. And he looks at me and he said, is that in play? And I said, yes, Phil, that's in play. And with that, he walked down onto the green and I got out of there as quick as I could <laughs> up to the next tee. But this ball then decides it's lonely and wants to follow Phil. Oh, my God. And so it starts rolling. Oh, no. And it rolls 15 metres down the hill out into the middle of the green. <laughs> And I'm thinking, as oh, no, no one's going to understand this. The the, the commentators don't, won't have any idea. Phil looks at me and he said, well, what do I do? Replace it? And I said, no, look, the ball was in play. The fact that it's now moved, you play it from its new position, which is out in the middle of the green, 15 metres closer to the green. <laughs> anyway, I'm thinking, oh, gee, I hope I've got this one right. <laughs> so... Uh, Luckily, he um, he missed the putt and uh, he went on to actually miss the cut. But it was a dreadful week for the R&A, but it was a worse moment for me. And I'm thinking, this is my Open Championship career uh, finished here and there, you know, right on the spot. So um, anyway... Um, the ruling was right. The ball, oh, the ruling yeah, was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the ruling was... Apart from letting him drop it the first time, yeah, the ruling yeah. was perfect. Yeah. Um, but um, it wasn't a good moment with 500 million because I knew no one's going to... Uh -oh. First of all, he's picked it up, he's dropped it, he's placed it, he's dropped it again, and then he's dropped it again, and then he's it's placed it. And now it's rolled after him down onto the green. and uh, So uh, it was a miserable moment for me. Anyway, to show the class of David Rickman, who's the tournament director there, when I got through, I the last 15 holes are just a, a blur... And I came through, and you have to get the end of your round. You go and see the the boss and hand in your radio. And as I walked towards him, he just looked at me and said, Langers, thanks, mate. Thanks, we owe you. After the week we've had, if you had let him play that, he would have hit it to two feet, hold the putt, and he would have gone on and won the Open mm. Championship. You've saved the day for us. You have done us the biggest favour. And I thought, what a great bloke. Yeah, like, yeah. He knew that I'd stuffed up and I knew I'd stuffed up, but oh, he, he was... Uh, turned it around. Uh, yeah, he turned yeah. it around. He was just a class act. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. So that was a pretty ordinary moment. But it was, you know, it was fantastic. <laughs> Luckily, I did another 15 Opens after that. So. Were you out at St Andrews in 2015 when it was being just cyclonic winds and it was called off for that period of time? I was, and I was the luckiest bloke in the world because I had the first match, and as my last putt of that uh, first match went down, the wind started and the rain started, and I spent the day um, at uh, the Queen Mother's Castle somewhere in <laughs> Scotland while everyone else waited around for 24 hours for the wind to drop. That's a pretty nice place to be. Yeah. Um, uh, Tony Fee we got a couple of bits and pieces before we... The numbers now are becoming... 
they're actually becoming a bit terrifying, really, if you're a Tony fan. He had another chance to win this in the playoff. He, he, Homer makes it unbelievable. Were you watching any of Riviera? I saw a little bit. Homer makes it unbelievable sort of bunt from the base of the tree on 10 in the playoff, mm-hmm. which was as good a shot as you'll see from, from that position. It presents, however, Fernow with the opportunity. He's got a six, seven footer, little downhill, left to right, difficult putt um, to win the thing. And this is the moment. He's going to make the putt and he's going to break, break this. What did you make of the putt that he hit? He didn't want to ram it four feet past, obviously. What did you make of the putt that he hit? Well, I think tentative is the word mm. that springs to mind, Andy. But he was hoping it'd go in, didn't he? He was hoping that ball went in more than. To be fair, Homer had missed the. Birdie putt on the 72nd hole that Correct. should have not even put him in that position. And yep. he did shoot a 64 Correct. to get into the playoff. So, you know, and for that matter, it was his 13th top five and 21st top 10 since the 2019 Masters. Oh, that's ridiculous what he's Is done. Is that what you've got? Oh, he's, got he's had 37 top 10s without a win since 2017. Since his last win, um, only DJ, Thomas and Ram have had more top 10s than him. Right, have, have had more top 10s than Finau. Together, they've won 31 times. 31? 31 times between the three of them. Finau hasn't won at all. And he handled it with great grace. I mean, he did the interview after the tournament, and he was lovely and said, I played well, I had the 64 months and great putts to get in. But he said, I'm going to have to take some time here to process what actually happened. I appreciate you know, that I've missed this putt and I had a chance to win the thing. So it's becoming... It is becoming a sizable impediment on the on the back of Tony Finau now. I mean, we all hope that he he seems like such a good bloke. I don't know whether you've met him at all, but mm, yeah, he is a, he's a wonderful fellow. Mm. I I look at it and I think, gee, luckily I've never been in that position. I mean, I find it hard to hole a six footer downhill across the slope, whatever. <laughs> um, when you've got five dollars on it, but to think you had your house on it um, <laughs> or more. Um, it it would be nerve wracking. There's been some unbelievable putts over the years. Mm. Who were the the main ones? Uh, I remember just last year, Langers, with when um, both Johnson and Rahm hit those putts in the in the playoffs, back to back across and down the hills. Do you yep. remember that? I mean that I mean they weren't the ones you were referring to, but there's been some amazingly bold putters. I think so. It really makes it stark when guys aren't ramming yeah. it at the hole. What about yet? that one tiger hole to get in the playoff uh, with... Um, Rocco Mediate? Yeah. I mean, one that, of the all-time great parts. Mm. I mean, he, he has ice going through mm. his veins, Tiger. Mm. Yeah. But cool. I wonder if Tiger would be the same now as he was then if he had that same putt. Who knows? Adam Scott's putt was pretty good to win a yeah. green jacket. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's... But it, it, it did look... It didn't look like the putt of a man who thought that ball was going in. It just didn't look like that. You f- it, they were all fi- we're all barracking for that ball to go in, I reckon, with all due respect to Max yes. Homer, but it just didn't look like it did it. He can sort of ease the burden by looking at his bank balance, though. He yeah. goes all right, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. won on the PGA Tour alone, so yeah. endorsements and everything else aside, $22,299,431 yeah, okay, US. Right. And okay, hasn't right. won the last... 30-odd years. Uh, Uh, Cam Smith, tick, again, magnificent, but for the mullet, uh, which is absolutely filthy. No, it's no good. That's awesome. You're just jealous, Andy. No, well, I don't. I mean, I'm jealous of you two. Uh, I'd prefer your hairdos than Cam Smith's right now, but... You, if if I could offer you yours or Cam Smith, you're taking... Yeah, and then I cut it straight away. (laughs) I, I take the amount of hair he's got and then I reshape it immediately. No, you're kidding yourself. Um, You would would gobble that mullet up. No, I wouldn't. No, no, not at my age.
that's real Ted Cruz type activity, and we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't know, we don't want to talk about him. Uh, Matty Jones, top ten. Uh, Lee Scott Davis all made the cut, so solid, what? solid Matt, showing. Matt yeah. Jones is going. Beautiful. He's going really well. Really, really impressive. He's back. Mm. He's back. He had yeah. a little lean trot there, but I think he's back. You're going well. Uh, Brett Coletta stormed uh, out of the blocks with the resumption of the Corn Ferry, 63 in the first round. Uh, hard to maintain that over four days. He couldn't. Finished tie 11th, I reckon he might have. But it, it'll be a little opportunity that I reckon Brett Coletta's let slide there. When you get that sort of start, you hope you can at least turn it into a real pointy end finish. Agreed. And this is a, a really important time. I know that this is the first one back mm. and then there's a gap and then we'll have – you know, the season proper, but because no one went up in that top 25 that we watched so intently, Andy, normally mm. last year, there's a lot There's a lot more money involved in combining two seasons of play. Of course, yeah. so, so it's harder to make a move. I know if you win, you should be okay, but, uh, for example, Curtis Luck. Um, All WI fans will be keen to know what you're about to say next, too. Yeah, correct, and he, and he, he, he went pretty well. For, you know, he was 69 out of the block, 70-69, and then 75 on a mm. tough last day. Um, but having won last year, as we celebrated famously with him, uh, he's already dropped down to number 30 on the uh. on the race to the top 25. Mm. So that gives you an indication of how hard it's going to be. So we don't want to see these guys um, let too many chances slip. So mm. just for reference, um, Brett Coletta is now 75th. Uh, Brett Druitt, who also had the victory, he's 18th. Curtis Luck, as I mentioned, is 30th, and Ryan Ruffles is 65th. So we really, if we want to go get a couple more of those guys on the big stage, mm. they're really going to have to start amassing a few um, single-digit mm. finishes. Mm. Well, my highlight of the week, uh, and it is a very big highlight, was a conversation I had with Mike Clayton when he told me Elvis Smythe has decided he's going to go through Europe rather than going to Corn Ferry or America. And I think there's been a huge mistake made by a lot of players in that they're going to America and not going to Europe first. Here, here. Oh, the quality of golf being played in Europe now. We've talked about this a fair bit on this show. There was this allure of America. Clearly, the PGA Tour is where most of them want to be, all of them probably. And they thought, they thought ill of probably the courses and the tournament conditions over in Europe for a long time. But... No longer. They're, they're, the courses that we see weekly in Europe are, more, are a lot more interesting than a lot of the golf courses we get played at. If in a America. golfer's career was like an AFL career and went over a five, ten year span, mm. I would agree with going to the US to get into the big game. Mm. But when it's a 20, 30 year span, correct? Yep. you need to spend that four or five years either in Asia, Japan, and then Europe. Like all our great players did. Mm. Senior did it. Ogilvy did it. Appleby did it. Um, Allenby did it. Parry did it. All of them mm. went via Europe. Learned the game, learned different currencies, learned different nations, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And then by the time they got to America, they were ready. Yeah. And um, But nowadays, um, and I guess Ryan Ruffles is the best example he was going to be the number one next number Tiger Woods, wasn't he? And he has uh, since struggled. Uh, it's like a kid coming out of AFL football at 17 and being put in the AFL Grand Final. Mm. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a tough, it's so, a, it's a tough school. Elvis yeah. hasn't, you know, formalised his actions yet about turning pro and things. But I know that another one will please you, 
uh, Langers because one who did during the week was Jack Thompson. Yeah, and yeah, he said yeah. that he's happy to play Japan, Europe, wherever it takes him. Um, he's happy to go. So Great. It's all part of the education. Mm. I mean, it's... Uh, it's a tough game to make a living at, as we saw. You talk about Fina uh, um, missing a six-footer, but uh, it's a lot harder when you're 20 years of age and you've yeah. you've got a hole to feed you to yeah, feed yeah, yourself yeah, yeah, to buy yeah. the next ticket to somewhere. And you yeah. could hear that in Crystal Blum's voice earlier. Sure could. Yeah. yeah, she mentioned the play series. Great news. Cisco Webex have jumped on. They've got some top-end. Um, commercial support from a, the partnership that was announced for, with that tournament up at Bonnie Doon during the week. Great news for the PGA, yeah. a really you know quality sponsor there, and it shows the I think the interest that the Player Series has more broadly had, Andy, mm. that, that they can attract a great sponsor like that. So great effort from the PGA and from Cisco Webex. Tiger, just ticking him off here. Tiger did an interview with Jim Nance mid-tournament on the final day. What are you raising your eyebrows for? It was an interview or a love fest. Well, it was a love fest. Jim does get a bit gushy, doesn't he? But we, wow, you know, he does get a bit. But Langer's had, Langer's had, had, there was a little, there were love hearts coming out of your eyeballs when you're talking about Tiger earlier too. Why wouldn't they be? No, exactly it's the right. biggest thing that's ever happened in golf. <laughs> it's true. Uh, no certainty. He's uh, very much small steps still with his rehab from the latest back surgery and um, no, no certainty that he'll, he'll beat the clock to get to Augusta. No, you don't know what's... I guess, organised for him by his handlers mm. in terms of schedules and things when his back surgery was actually taking place because they just said, you know, hopefully March, maybe just tune up for the Masters and away we go. Mm. But that didn't sound like that the other day to Did me. Not, no. So, no. I, you know, if he can get to Augusta, I think it'll be, you know, touch and go. And he, well, Andy, I've been burned several times by riding Tiger off at Augusta, but that'd be hard work if he, mm. if he hasn't had a, a warm-up. Either of you two want to say anything about Michelle Wee and Rudy Giuliani this week? Either of you want to say anything about that? Uh, I'll, no. save, I'll, save, I'll save Langers and say Rudy Giuliani is one of the most low-life yep. human beings yep. we've ever had reference to on this show. Okay, we won't mention that. That might be news. We go, there's a great opportunity. There's one of these we, – we've got a WGC event taking place this week. Huge opportunity, Puerto Rico Open, for – a lot of the PJ Tour players to you know get into a slightly weakened, still a deep field, obviously, but slightly weakened PJ Tour field. So we can, and that gives a going to be a bunch of Australians in that tournament. We haven't got the um, field finalised as we record this on a Tuesday afternoon. I haven't seen the concession where the WGC events being played in Florida. Have you been? Have you been to the concession at all? No, I haven't. Bradenton. No, I haven't been there. So no. claims to have brutal four or five really genuinely tough exacting t- par fives. Seems to be the claim. Just a little bit of a read up on the course, and um, it, it 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 seems that it has got legitimate far, far par fives that will challenge these blokes. So if we are tuning in to watch it this week, I believe that when I see, I see it. it. That's what I believe too. I'll believe that too. Do you know why it's, it's called? A no. Do you know why it's called a concession? I assume it's to do with the Open Championship and Jack Nicklaus. Is that right? Well, it was it was the Ryder Cup, wasn't it? Oh, it was the Ryder Cup, yeah. When he no, conceded right. the putt to Tony Jacklin. You would have been there, wouldn't you, Langs? Yeah. <laughs> you would have, 1969, you would have been in the gallery that day? No, I just missed that one. Right, OK. I just yep. missed that one. Yeah. Probably Trevor Hurden was there, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was the first tie. Ah. So they were the holders, and he he conceded a three-footer to Tony Jacklin, didn't he? Yes, he did. Mm. Um, what I find amazing is, though, that the best field in the world isn't competing at the World Golf Championship 
given the prize money they're playing for. That's amazing, Langus. Fancy, fancy the rest of the world not getting a good look in. Yes, that's it's, it's a funny old game, isn't it? <laughs> Would you like to say a bit more on that? No, 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 right, no, right, no right. I'll leave that okay. to you too. Andy, I want to make, mention no, yes, a please. couple of things. One is the change to the amateur status rules that's yeah, being proposed. That. Yeah. Um, I think the three takeaway things here, there's plenty to it, but um, as part of the effort by the USGA and RNA to clarify everything around. Oh, yeah, it's to fend off legal action pending from the NCAA. Let's let's call it for what it is. They're terrified of that. So well, there, there is that, but it mm. is, you know it is getting more and more complex. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yep. Um, right around the world. So yep. this is good. Um, only three acts are going to result in a golfer losing their amateur status. One is that they accept a prize in excess of the prize limit. Two, accepting payment for giving instruction. Mm-hmm. And the third is accepting employment as a golf club pro or membership of an association of professional golfers. So it's going to be pretty it's liberal. Pretty yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which I think is, is only reasonable. Well, amateur, amateur sport has changed since we were kids. Amateur sport, you know, at, at elite level amateur sport, there's almost no, no such thing anymore. Well, I think the move... Well, the Home of Golf Project down at Sandringham is leading golf to where it'll ultimately end up, and that is with, um, and I shouldn't be, you know, now that I'm not a PGA member or a amateur golf member, but I think one day there will be just golf in Australia and uh, there'll be an amateur arm and a professional arm, no different to the AFL, mm. who looks after amateur football and professional football. Mm. And, um, and the same in swimming, the same in cycling, the same in netball. And um, I think ultimately one day that'll happen. Mm. I want to wish Gabby Ruffles good luck in yeah. her professional yeah. debut yeah. Um, this week in Florida on the LPJ Tour as that resumes. But I want to just um, quick reference, Andy, if you don't mind. Oh, we're going to have much more on this in, in another episode upcoming. But the Queensland Open is right around the corner. We've mentioned... Um, Bonnie Doon event on the PGA Tour, which is great. But I just want to, you know, let everyone know that Queensland opens back at Pelican Waters for the second time. So this week, this year, March 11 to 14, entries free, just like the Vic Open. You can walk inside. There are no ropes. So you can walk with the players. There's going to be bands and all sorts of uh, entertainment at the course. Really great place there on the Sunshine Coast. Urge everyone to sort of think about it. Just a day, a great day out. Mm. Um, if you go up there any of the four days, I think you'll be really pleasantly surprised by what this level of golf tournament has become. They're really entertaining for all the family. Um, we're going to start pumping it up a little bit in the next couple of weeks, but I just want to flag with everyone, just keep an eye on that because it's going to be a huge tournament. Mm, so, good. Well, I did um, that one last year, and uh, I was staggered how good that golf course is. I think it was Greg Norman, isn't it, that, yeah. that did? And the plans are to do some renos. I'm not sure whether they've happened in the meantime. I think they're going to be ongoing, Langers, over... A little bit that's happened this year and a little bit that's happening ongoing. Um, but the course, clubhouse. What a fabulous golf course that yeah, is. It really is. And um, developments around it by the owners as well. So it's it's uh, it's a place that's really going to come of age, I think, Andy. Yeah, Pelican Waters. So. Yeah, great. Mm. Beauty. Um, that it. We're done. Thanks for coming in. Lovely to see you. No, great to be here. Um, Martin Pakula, if you're listening. Yeah, Martin, please. You've got his number. <laughs> Give him a call. Hey, is he I can't to... wait for the uh, Oval Office story next oh, time no, he's in. that's the next time. Righto. We'll get on your Who was the president at the time? Just give us that. No, no, all right, all no right. secrets. All right, no worries. No uh, good to see you. You too. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode number 196 of Inside the Ropes Done and Dusted. Back next week to do it all again.